Welcome to episode three. This is Butterflies and Bravery. And this is episode three. (laughs) We wanted to thank all of our listeners for a very successful launch. We record our podcast a bit in advance. We published our first episode on May 12th, and it was a very successful launch. We already have over 800 subscribers to our feed which is a great start. We are so happy with this. <laughs> Snaps all around. <laughs> yeah. And you can listen on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple, or you can listen at butterfliesandbravery.com. There's more information on our website about upcoming episodes and who some of our guests will be and more information about us as well our upcoming survivor summit yeah there's information there check it out it's going to be a free online event it's going to be really exciting so exciting i can't wait fun 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 in the last episode we interviewed me jemima and (laughs) boy was that fun Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was amazing come on (laughs) <laughs> it was very honest. Yes. And <laughs> I really bared my soul there. <laughs> Takes a lot out of you. Oh, yeah, no problem. I can tell my story. And then you start <laughs> telling it, and you're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Okay, I'm going to have to do a little uh, self therapy here. Not the bad kind, the good kind. <laughs> <laughs> well, we promised our listeners that the stories will be raw and real. And it was definitely both of those things. So we're delivering rain at least <laughs> and that was only our second episode so i'm pretty sure we're going to keep up the momentum of the real and the raw yeah we jumped right in with both feet on that one didn't we <laughs> uh-huh. yes we did we are going to be interviewing our other host today miss whisper and she is going to be talking a bit about grief grief or loss is something that affects almost every human being's life, and sometimes in quite a profound way. The loss of an animal who's very dear to you, or a loved one, or wives, children. It's pretty hard Um, to deal with. Loss is actually one of the most transformational experiences you have. There's nothing that shakes your heart the way that loss does. That's the truth for sure. Good Lord. Oh my, (laughs) not just your heart, your whole entire freaking world. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to deal with. And it's something that people don't really like to talk about. It's one of those things that a lot of people keep to themselves and they just sort of figure out how to stumble through, muddle through. I'm just going to figure this out inside my head because I don't want to be a burden to everyone around me. The thing about grief and loss is that society makes us feel or sends the message that we're just meant to get over it. We're meant to be quiet about it. We're meant to move on. Right. Nobody wants to talk to you about it because that's uncomfortable and awkward and people don't like being uncomfortable and awkward next thing you know it's this huge thing that nobody's talking about and everything goes silent and you're on your own to deal with it in silence yeah and you feel very alone and isolated in your grief i think most people do right i know i did yeah There's this intense loneliness that comes with any form of loss that you have because it's an experience that you alone are having. But to compound that loneliness with not being able to talk about it, not being able to reach out for support, have an environment where it's okay to be sad, it's okay to break down, it's okay to be all the things that you want to (laughs) be when you're grieving. Right. You're compounding the loneliness. You're doubling down (laughs) on the loneliness. If there's something that we can help change, it would definitely be that. We stop suffering in silence. We stop letting our loved ones suffer in silence. (laughs) It's such a common human emotion that we have to deal with. And if anybody hasn't had to deal with it yet, most likely they will at some point in their lives. Yeah, you don't get too far without 
having to deal with that on some level. No, not really. Not at all. No. Well, let's get to the grieving, huh? (laughs) 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 It's so funny how we just laugh about, oh, yeah, I flatlined. (laughs) 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 We're morbid. A little, we probably have a little bit of a dark sense of humor, but sometimes that's the only thing you can do is, is laugh. You can't change the past. You can't go back and make it different. You and I particularly are some of the most empathetic, sympathetic people that I know. I think that's why I feel a little bit more free to laugh sometimes when I need to laugh, because I know how deeply all these things go. Right. And And sometimes you just need the levity for (laughs) to just kind of like take a step back and say, well, mm, that's what it was. And right now we're making the best of it that we can. Exactly. And sometimes that means finding humor in it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So listeners, please excuse us for our sometimes morbid (laughs) inappropriate laughter. Inappropriate. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> people listening are going to be like um that's not funny could yeah. you stop <laughs> yeah yeah please, please stop laughing that is not funny why would you laugh at that what's yeah. wrong with you yes, we mean absolutely no offense by laughing at these very serious things we do acknowledge and give them the the reverence that they deserve but yes we also sometimes just have to laugh that's very true that's kind of embracing the full like spectrum of the experience, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I've grieved about that. I've accepted it and all of that. And now I can find some humor in it. Yeah. <laughs> Might as well, right? Yeah. I think that getting divorced and moving out mm-hmm. and living on my own for the first time, that was the really big switch and, right. and a profound experience in freedom actually yeah and i was having a pretty good old time for a couple years i i did the inevitable post divorce romping yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes let's call it romping the post divorce melee of going out and dancing clubbing and dating i was definitely having fun for you it was that was a whole new experience being able to do that because we didn't right. date we didn't no. date at even no. as teenagers i was pretty green on many levels <laughs> when it came to living life that way it was a fun time it was a crazy time i would not pick it up again today <laughs> <laughs> but i don't regret going through all of that that's fun you know. yeah and so i was working and i was in the corporate world i had worked my way up from actually in this company from executive assistant all the way up to uh director of business development and marketing there's like just this experience of like i'm single i'm doing what I can to be a single mom. I'm out here. I'm doing this job. The company ended up needing to downsize. They sent most of us to work from home just because of who I am. When I would have to go to work and be in the office, there was so much fluff that would go on during the day that drained my time. But working from home something that would have taken me the eight hours of working in our office would take me four. being at home. I ended up with all this extra free time. I honestly don't know what exactly fueled this decision. But one day I woke up and I was just like, you know what? I want to run a half marathon. And to get a little bit of context, I'm not a tiny person who jogs all the time. I have curves. (laughs) I'm a healthy person, but running was not my thing. Another girlfriend, another friend of mine, we had started out on walking and it grew up to, it kept going. It went into hiking and it was in like, let's join a gym. And then it was actually, let's try and run a half marathon. I started with my extra time during the day that I had being able to work from home. I started using that time to train for a half marathon. That was one of the most peak times in my life prior to today, prior to right now in my history. That was a peak time in my life. I had really settled into being a great single mom. I'd left behind that whole crazed 
post divorce situation, there was a rhythm in my life that I was pretty excited, pretty happy about. I was seeing somebody. I started training for this half marathon. I was on top of the world. I was in super great health. I had these friends that I was hanging out with all the time. I was living a life that I never expected that I would live. I had a job that was paying enough for me to keep myself afloat and a little bit more than just covering my needs. It was a really freaking fantastic time. I was seeing somebody I was kind of really crushing on. (laughs) I was like getting all into my health. And then in the end of 2013, everything came crashing down. Oh my. (laughs) I know what that's like. (laughs) They say the higher you are, the harder you fall. And that was certainly my case in this because I was not only living a life that I never imagined, but I was for the first time living a life that I felt like after all my knockdowns, everything that had been stolen from me as far as a childhood, as far as education, as far as I was living a life that I deserved. Like I really felt that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I saw the future. I saw happy. There was this whole experience, this whole map (laughs) of life ahead of me. And then in October of that year, one of my kids ended up having, let's just say, a a, a medical emergency. I was actually at my boyfriend's house at the time, and we were playing a game, (laughs) a board game. And I got a frantic call from my youngest, absolutely freaking out. My youngest had just found their sibling close to death. Your youngest is the one that found them in the bathroom? Yes. Is that what it was? My youngest uh, found them and then called me absolutely frantic, basically telling me that I was about to lose my kid. Oh, my God. A 20-minute drive from where I was to the hospital took me only about eight minutes. (laughs) Holy I was like, pull me over, please have a cop pull me over so that you can go in front of me and get me to the hospital. The uh, severity of what had happened to my kid was devastating on a lot of levels. The thing that was so shocking about it all was I had no idea. This was a kid that was so amazing. They were quiet, but brilliant. Up to that point, I thought that I knew what was going on. I thought that I knew. I thought that I understood. But turns out I absolutely did not. (laughs) They were in a place of pain. Most people don't survive. And they almost didn't survive. That night, everything, everything about my life, everything about where I was and who I was... (laughs) It just completely, just completely crumbled. There's so much about this story and this experience that is not mine to tell. It technically doesn't have very much to do with me other than as a mother. Right. You want your kid to be happy. You want your kid to be successful. You want them to feel loved. You want them to know that they have a place in this world. Yeah. And you, I escaped a fucking cult and I went through so much to be able to keep my kids safe and to be able to keep my kids in a place where they get to have their own happiness and they get to have their own choices. I felt at that point, I felt like I'd given them all that. And in just like one fucking second, one phone call. My entire world was just like pulled out from under me. All of a sudden, it was just like all gone. And I had experienced a lot in life. Like I said, I was working for a company that I worked my way up through. I had friends. I was in a relationship. Like I had a lot of quote unquote things going on. But at the end of the day, the only thing that really ever mattered to me was that I was a mom. And everything else was just fluff. I was a mom that was my identity. (laughs) That was my culture. That that was everything. I was a mom. I know that 
when you become a mom, that is true. 100%. That becomes your identity in a lot of cases. That becomes everything about your life. But I had this extra layer of, I was fucking shattering some generational abuse. I was breaking them out of a place that I was never going to let them go to. And that's some big fucking work. That's some serious changes and work and effort that you put into being a mother is not only just like raising them as amazing human beings and giving them a chance to be everything that they want to be, but you also are breaking the cycle. You're breaking a cycle of whatever it might be, cycle of abuse because of what happened to me that was never fucking going to happen to my kids. The things that I lost, my kids were never going to fucking lose that. So there was like this extra sort of level of layer of, I need to be the best for my kids. And in that moment, all of a sudden, was I not only not (laughs) the best for my kids, but I was staring at a situation that I did not see coming. I was so fucking blindsided. I did not know that there was that difficulty, those issues, I did not see it. Like I said, again, this whole thing that happened is not my story. I can only express how it affected me and how it affected me in that moment was I lost literally in a heartbeat, less than a heartbeat. I lost every belief that I had and who I am as a mom. How can you think you're a good mom when you don't even know your kid is in that much, that much pain? Yeah. <laughs> Intellectually, I know that is not something that we can take on as mothers. This is not how humanity works. It's not how life works. We are all responsible for ourselves and all that. Blah, blah, blah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think the human reaction is what I had. Right. Yeah. Which was a complete just dissolving of who I was of, and of my identity. Yeah. Of what place I had in this world. Yeah. And even what worth I had. Because I, if I can't even do the one thing. That's the most important to me, which right. is be, be a good mom. Then who am I? What am I? Like, fuck it, you know? You know, sometimes you see those things that are all made out of powder and it's a sculpture and you just like do the little like blow on it and the whole thing like turns into dust. That's what happened to my heart, to my mind. If there's one thing that we are pretty good at, it is reacting to high pressure situations. Because we were raised to believe that every minute was a high pressure situation. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> right? Good Lord. We lived with every moment being a high pressure situation with the possibility of a calamity at our doorstep at every moment. There was definitely some, I guess, mental programming that kicked in. Instincts. Yeah. Yes, you're right. I had that sort of the pre-programming instincts and then i had the mother instincts and i i definitely went into this whole almost mechanical mode of we need to fix this i need to make sure that like i need to take care i need to work this all out i walked away from the corporate world because i knew that the thing that my kids needed more than anything was someone who was going to be absolutely a thousand percent present i couldn't do that while working i mean side caveat. At the time I made that decision, I did believe that I would have (laughs) child support to help support the situation. And I was extremely wrong about that. (laughs) I I did make a decision based on thinking that I was going to have some level of financial support to be able to care for my kids. But even if I had known that I wasn't going to, I still would have made the same decision. Because when your kid is sick, you fucking take care of your kid. There's not a question about that. Yeah. We spent the next year being in and out of hospitals, I think 10 times. 
oh my. over the course of a year. And some of the stays were longer, some of them were shorter, but it's a very surreal experience when you start knowing nurses and doctors and staff by name yeah. <laughs> in a place that you should not have to know their names. Right. <laughs> the whole situation that happened with my kid happened at their dad's house. Basically, I dropped off the kids and within an hour I was getting a phone call come to the ER right now. In that following year, all the kids moved into my place and didn't want to move out. <laughs> Basically, the entire year was filled with, I was either at court, or I was at a hospital. That was the year. Oh. Or I was at home, like dealing with some sort of governmental program of people coming in, trying to help the situation. It was an absolute shit show of a year. <laughs> Sounds like it. That was a fucking shit show of a year. There were too many nights that I couldn't go to sleep. I would sit in the living room, not able to sleep because I had to keep going and checking and making sure that my kid was still alive, was still there. And unfortunately, my youngest spent a lot of those nights with me. When you're in that place, when you're just in that, like, that deep, deep place, you have to fucking face up to some shit. Because you can't pretend <laughs> that shit is not happening. You yeah. can't pretend that this is not astronomically fucked up. There are fears that become so big and so powerful that... There were times, way too many times, even during a course of one day, that I couldn't even breathe because these fears would just overwhelm me. And I had to finally come to a place where I was just like, I, I need to face these. I need to look at it completely fully. And that is, what's my biggest fear? What's the worst outcome of the situation? The worst outcome of the situation is that I would lose my kid. and. I had to, <laughs> to be able to survive what I was going through at the time. Like I had to go to that place. I had to go to that place and sit with it and be there and say, okay, this is the worst outcome. And this could possibly be a reality. It's like I had to hold space for myself. I had to hold space for myself mm. to be mm. in that terrifying position Yeah, and say, Okay, that's what it would be. I had to feel the feelings, as they say. Somehow we got through that year. And we weren't doing very well financially. But after that time, I went looking to get my kids involved in something kind of outside of our world. The one place in our area that had some youth programs that were going on that were free was the local LGBTQ center. And we're a rainbow family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of us are not straight in our family. So I was like, oh, of course, that's awesome. We'll just go there and we'll start hanging out with just other kids. We really kind of like fell into this world, this family. It was a family. That especially my kids became part of these kids are so, so precious. At the time, there was actually a lot of kids in my children's age range between mid teenagers up to young adults just hitting their 18s, 20s that were transgender that were struggling because uh, their families had kicked them out. They were living on the streets. They were homeless oh, wow. simply wow. because of who they were. I was looking for some healing and some purpose as well. I started meeting these kids and they all started calling me mom and the center would joke, oh yeah, when you show up, you've got this trail of kids coming behind you like little ducklings. I couldn't leave these amazing, fucking beautiful, brilliant kids on the streets. So I started taking them in. <laughs> they all started living with me and I had a three bedroom place. I think that when we were at the height of our house occupancy, there was nine kids. <laughs> oh, wow. 
including my own, we literally had somebody that we'd emptied our closet and had given them a set up a bed for them. Oh my gosh, we had so many days of just like pure bliss. What's amazing is that each one of those kids that came to my place while they were there, I helped them get back into education, whether it was getting their GED or going back to high school or starting college. I got them back in in an active role in their education. They ended up finding jobs, finding a place to stay and are now these beautiful, amazing people that are out there like living. And that was a huge point of healing for me. I've studied psychology. I will acknowledge that some of my motivation was probably seeking some healing and some reassurance that I wasn't a complete failure (laughs) as a mother. But even if some of my heart was motivated by that there was a huge part that wasn't and it there was a huge part that was just like i fucking love these kids they're like some of the most amazing people on the planet when you think about what they have to go through what they have to understand about themselves to be able to recognize that they are dealing with being in the wrong body that's some self-awareness that a lot of adults don't have it was a really beautiful experience being involved with them. But then there ended up being like this secondary side of it, which was they are not only just amazing, wonderful human beings, they're up against so much. I mean, when your own parents kick you out on the street, just because of who you are, I mean, that's a mental mind fuck that is really hard to deal with. And a lot of these kids end up either they started with or they ended up with some serious mental health difficulties and struggles. And the following year after our family had the tragedy that we did, there was a trans kid that was, (laughs) I, I don't know how to explain who they were to our family other than they were part of our chosen family. They were my stepkid, our adopted family. We spent Thanksgivings. We spent Christmases with them. They would come home from school every single day with my youngest. They're best friends with my youngest and they would come home from school every day and spend the rest of the day at my place. This this kid was the closest they were to being my own kid. And yeah. and just things were too much at the time and at 14 years old they ended up taking their life. Oh wow. There's just no sense. There's no equation in your mind that you can create that helps to make sense of that. Yeah, seriously. They were my youngest, like, best friend in the whole world. And there's not a moment that I've forgotten from the time I got the phone call to the next 24 hours. Um after that is not in my mind that's not burned in there like as it was yesterday and unfortunately another trans kid that was my other kid's best friend (laughs) a month to the day that we lost the first kid to suicide we lost the second kid to suicide And I'm sitting there, two of my kids within the space of 30 days, having lost their very best friends to suicide. Not just lost them to death, but to suicide. Ouch. There's not a lot of words for that kind of loss, because that's something that goes all the way into your bones and does not let go. Yeah. Before the year ended... That year, I also lost my brother to cancer. It was a unusual and aggressive cancer. The passing of those kids happened in the spring of that year. And in September of that same year, my brother was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And he had passed away by December. Wow. That's really Really fast. It was a surreal experience because the doctors were trying to talk to us about his diagnosis. And we were asking them things like, what's the difference between chemotherapy and radiation? 
the kind of questions that you're asking at stage one years before you're dealing with stage four. (laughs) And the doctors were like, you need to look for phone numbers of a hospice. I think I've told you in one of the earlier podcasts, I'm the oldest of 11. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of people. Yeah. To be having to deal with such an extreme experience. When you have immediate family of 12, 13 people that are trying to deal with an unfathomable loss something that they can't even wrap their heads around. We've never had cancer in our family. It was another just like came out of the blue, like just knocked us sideways. In one year, I had just been knocked down to my knees by these absolutely just blindsided losses. Yeah, for real. Jeez. And at the same time, I was dealing with all of this. I was also trying to be a mom to kids who were trying to deal with this. I've talked to lots of people. When you're a teenager and you lose your best friend, even if it's not to something as traumatizing as suicide, that's something that lives with you for the rest of your life. That's just such an impressionable age. I was on my own (laughs) as a single mom with no support financial or otherwise, sort of jostling between trying to support and help my kids through these horrific losses while also trying to deal with the personal losses that they were to me and trying to figure out how I was going to feed them for that day and not get evicted. There was just that whole period of my life where I sit here today and I look back and I'm sort of like what you said in in the last podcast is like, I don't know. I really don't know how I survived that period of time in my life. I don't know how I got through it. I would say (laughs) that I don't know how I got up every day, but there were lots of days that I didn't get up. There are lots of days that I couldn't, I could not put my feet on the ground There were so many days that I self-medicated with alcohol. There were devastating moments where I couldn't function as a mom or a human being. (laughs) But yet, I had four kids that were living with me full-time. And the loss of my brother, there was a lot that went on there that it kind of tore my family in a little bit apart. It's really difficult to be able to accept the passing of somebody before they've passed. I don't know how I had the peace with that, that I did of just understanding that I wanted to say goodbye to him and I wanted to give him every fucking ounce of love that I could while he was still here. There was a lot that went on with my entire family at the time, understandably so. But the end result and the consequences were I ended up feeling like one side of a gulf and going through everything that I was going through. There's a loneliness that gets down into this ache that is physically painful. And I lived in that so many days. Yeah. (laughs) Most of the time... If I was going to answer how I got through those times, it really was just the, I'll do it tomorrow <laughs> Yep. mantra. It's hard to understand. If you haven't been on that plane of pain and that level of loss, we're doing alliteration right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but if somebody has not been in that place It can be easy to feel like, okay, but you should have been there for your kids. You should have known that was your whole focus. And 95% of the time it was. Yeah. But any moment of every single day that that wasn't my entire focus, I was with myself. 
And that was a really ugly, ugly, ugly situation that was going on. (laughs) (laughs) And at the end of the day, that's probably what I would say to people that are dealing with loss on such an astronomical level, on whatever level you deal with loss is astronomical because it's a loss. Like they're just painful no matter how frequent or close in time or how many it is. One of the things that I would say to people is you have to allow it to be ugly because it is. Yeah, There's nothing pretty (laughs) about grief or Mm. loss or struggled. It's ugly. Yeah. It might be ugly for a long time. There's not a path. There's not a trajectory. The five stages of grief. Those are not stages. They're like five different attitudes or perspectives. Yeah. Or emotions. Yeah. That are in every place, in every way, all over the map of your emotional, mental arena. You can have a moment in time where you're having them all five at the same time. Yeah. (laughs) There's not a path. And anybody that says that there is, is not telling you the truth. (laughs) Right. For me, it's been, there's no acceptance. I haven't accepted any of them. No. No. (laughs) None of the people I've lost. I mean, both of us lost a lot of friends too, childhood friends for leaving the cult to suicide yes and even in recent years still it's heartbreaking and it's really difficult to deal with we've done some statistics in within our own ex-member community and we know that our suicide numbers are triple quadruple what the regular numbers should be for people our age and unfortunately when we hear the story of a fellow friend, a fellow ex-member that lost their life to pain and lost their life to depression. We feel sad, but we're not surprised. And that's kind of what we have to live with. I'm telling you some parts of my story that these are losses that are kind of over and above, but at the same time, coming from where we do and being a survivor and anyone who's a survivor of severe trauma or some pretty severe experiences, you spend a lot of time with loss. Loss is a very, very common companion. I even think of our veterans. Those are people that loss almost has become almost like a non-event. And I know it's not a non-event, but trauma and loss, there's not a very big separation of those two things. It just, it goes hand in hand. And one of the things that I've grown to see in dealing with so much loss and and grief in my somewhat recent years has been that there's like this added element that comes along with it, which is shame. It started yeah. immediately, like way back to the first incident when my kid was so sick and I didn't know. I went immediately into a shame spiral to the point I couldn't even separate out my emotions. All I felt was shame and I couldn't even recognize the part that was pain and the part that was grief being in such an intense shame spiral because of the loss and I should have done this and I should have done that it completely clouds your ability to deal with and to hold and massage your pain and your grief because that's the way to get through it is holding it you you have to dance with the devil to get through that that trauma and that loss and when you are in a shame spiral you cannot see anything but your shame right and we were talking earlier that unfortunately a lot of the case where we as a society kind of look down on or minimize or condemn people that are grieving or are in pain. Like you're not supposed to behave like that. You shouldn't still be thinking that way. Why don't you get over the past? Leave it behind. That's the stuff we hear all the time, constantly, like in and out, in and out of all of these experiences. And I remember during those times where I had so much was just like the rug being pulled out from under me. I came across this writer. His name is Tim Lawrence, and I'm not sure what he's doing today. But at the time I came across him, he was a writer and he was writing about loss and about grief. Here's the first quote 
that I read that had his name under it and and made me go like wait I need I need to read about this mm-hmm. guy I need to meet this guy the quote is the next time someone tells you to sing songs or be more positive or look at the rainbow when tragedy strikes you have my permission to positively shove that rainbow up their ass and I read that I was like oh my god yes you definitely <laughs> feel that way sometimes don't you I'm telling you, if there were moments where if one more person said to me, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, (laughs) or, you know, like everything happens for a reason, like, oh, Mm. no. Or you should smile. You never smile. Why don't you smile? (laughs) It's so invalidating to just try and like paste over this whitewash on top of people's pain, on top of people's grief i i feel like as a society that is one of the most important things that we can start doing for each other is to give each other space yeah to grieve to have pain to have anger let people be in that place hold them hold space for them you don't have to fix them you don't have to give them cute motivational quotes you (laughs) don't have to do anything honestly some of the most precious moments were when I was with someone and that's it, that they just sat with me yeah, and let me be whatever I was going to be. Let me feel whatever I was going to feel. And I really think that trying to navigate through pain and navigate through grief while painting over it with this, all things work together for good Mm. sort of mentality. How many paints of coat can you put over wood that's rotting coats of paint what did i say paints of coat <laughs> oh my gosh that's amazing that's funny how many coats of paint can you put over a piece of wood that's disintegrating it's just going to keep coming through it's just going to at the end of the day it's going to fall apart there's not really a way to overcome grief or loss there just isn't no I know there's a lot of, you know, information out there about this, but I think we just need to be reminded that you can't sit there and think like someday I'm going to be over this. Even to say someday things are going to get better. It might not. It might just be days will get different. You'll learn to hold that grief and pain in a different way that's manageable. Yeah. You'll learn to find the little things that you can love and the little things that you can cherish and relish and celebrate but it is also 100 okay if it's something that you don't get over right because yeah. who's the pain police that say you have to get yeah. over something i i know that society makes you think if you're not forgiving if you're not overcoming that's a moral failure you're doing something wrong on a moral level but that's not the case whatsoever no, no. plus you you're know. honoring that person too remembering them for me i kind of envision it like a little thing on my shoulder right next to me mm-hmm. my grief it's there all the time. I just learn to accept the fact that it's there. It's not Mm -hmm. going anywhere. (laughs) They're certainly not coming back. Yep. It's always going to be really tender when you poke it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that's a hundred percent. Okay. Right. Honestly, when I talk about loss, when I talk about grief, there's not the path to overcome or get over or get past there just isn't yeah the most important thing that i could say when you're dealing with pain and grief is to allow yourself just allow allow yourself to be yeah there's an element of mindfulness in it there's an element of you got to be in that moment and it's okay whatever you're feeling it's okay and to have a person that's hurting and grieving and mourning so intensely and then also be over here judging at the same time and being in that same person like that's way worse 
Yeah. <laughs> That's way worse than just trying to deal with the pain of loss and grief alone. So many of us, though, like I was saying, I would get myself into the fucking shame spiral. What could I have done more? I should have known. I should have, you know, or like, I wish I'd said more things to him. I wish I'd not been angry. I wish I'd whatever it is. That's right. the judgment that that's like, that's you condemning yourself. Exactly. For something. And you're literally having a courtroom in your head. <laughs> right. And you're trying to be the defense attorney and the prosecuting <clears throat> attorney at the same time. And that's a disaster. Is uh, that what right. happens in my head? <laughs> that sounds about right. Jeez, because that's exactly what happens. Like, wait, right. no. Okay, but hey, what about that? Okay, but no, what about that? Okay, but, no, what about that? Okay, but what about that? <laughs> so so imagine the same lawyer trying to be both prosecuting attorney and defense attorney. And, and that's what we do to ourselves when so we're much. judging a very real, normal human reaction. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. It's a good way yeah. to put it. I sort of think of it like you're in a boat. You got to learn to navigate the sea. And then sometimes you got to get in a whole new boat. <laughs> you got to learn everything about that. Be okay. Okay. I got this whole navigating the sea shit down. And then all oh, crap. My whole entire boat fall apart. All right. New boat, oh. new navigation, <laughs> new everything. Got to learn all the shit all over again. It's kind of like that, isn't it? Yeah, I used to be in a place where I, I would I would want all the time I'd cry to my therapist. <laughs> and I want all the time and I say I want to go back to that person that ran that half marathon, that person that was on top of the world and felt powerful, but you're just never going to be the person you were before loss and trauma. You just aren't. And it took me a while to figure that out and accept that and learn that there's so many other ways to be on top of the world. That's true. That's <laughs> then I'm doing this health thing and I ran a marathon and I have these friends and I have these boyfriends or, you know, whatever it might be, girlfriends. Uh, that's not the only way to be on top of the world. And when I really figured that out, it sounds a little bit ridiculous, but it helped so immensely when I realized that not only do I have to mourn the pain and the loss that I had at the time, I had to mourn the the person that I lost because right. I lost who I was at that point. Yeah. And I did love who I was in that place and in that space. There was definitely a lot about me that I loved in that moment and in that place. And I, instead of trying to like, go back to that person which is literally impossible <laughs> literally impossible i i wasn't giving myself a chance to mourn her that doesn't mean that the person i am today is less than the person that was back then no, not no. not at all no not at all but i am a different person yeah. i am absolutely a different person i have different priorities i have different outlooks i have different perceptions yeah but Definitely not less than. I had to let that person before my loss go. Right. I mean, I'd had lots of losses, but when I talk about the really significant ones that sort right. of like turn my fucking life on its head, yeah. uh, I had to let go of that person yeah. and say goodbye. I had to bury her. <laughs> it's interesting that you bring that up because that's kind of going to be uh, part of our Survivor Summit that we're doing, right? Absolutely. It's going to yep. be a lot about self-love, mm -hmm. right? And yes. along those lines of learning to celebrate who you are and let go of who you were and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff, right? Yeah. that's. I'm super excited for that. Yes. I, there's so many topics that we're going to talk about. There's so many amazing guest speakers that we're going to have. And I mean, I want to go. <laughs> Ooh, we get to go yay we get to go because we're hosting it yay. but i just think that there's such profound strength when you come together yes. and give space for everybody to be okay i'm totally. okay you're okay we are all okay and and or not and to be okay <laughs> we are exactly. We are okay not being okay. We're exactly just being able to really fully accept yourself as you are. 
exactly. and as what you're going through is yep. really the key to the start of your healing. It is. Yeah. That's that, just when you're comfortable in your own skin and it starts to sag, right? <laughs> I mean, mine started sagging a while ago and I'm still not quite comfortable in it, but you know, probably by the time I am, it'll be real saggy. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, you silly girl. You, you're, you're beautiful and amazing. I think that there's going to be some great conversations around these things in the summit as well. So, so exciting. That's awesome. Uh, yes. If you're listening to this and anything that we said or talked about resonated with you on any level, look us up, look up mm-hmm. the survivor summit. It's free. You can show up whenever you want. And it's no cost to you other than some time, but it's worth it. Give some time to yourself. Come around, hang out with people that have absolutely no judgment calls on anyone yeah. because we're our own level of disaster. <laughs> uh, ooh, that's a high level. Do we get to determine levels of disaster? No, because <laughs> we, pr- we probably shouldn't. That would be a little embarrassing. No. No, 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 there's no, no condemnation, but I think we were saying it before too. There's just this inherent messiness of being human. Yeah. And let's love it. You know, yeah. honestly, I, I love the messiness. I love the chaos. It's part of who we are. It's part of what keeps us alive and it's part of what focuses us also. Embrace so. it. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Make sure to join us next time. We will be interviewing Christina Babin. She was in the documentary with me called People Magazine Investigates the Children of God in 2019. And we will be talking a little more in depth about some of the aspects that were touched on in that documentary concerning our life in the cult and how we recovered after that. And that is the end of our episode today. So stay brave and remember every butterfly was once a caterpillar. <laughs>